So we know, we'll know what it sounds like when the trumpet really blows. There you go. I don't think we'll be able to mistake it. Yeah, you know what I what I hate, Nick, is when you start blowing on that. Hi, Isaac. And you thought you had enough breath, and you just run out just real soon. You know what I don't like is when you think your lips are in the right position, but you have a little bit of space, and your top lip vibrates and then tickles. Hate that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Can't stop. More than you wanted to know, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I hate is when you get your lips on there and you think you're going to make a really good sound, and then you don't. You don't. <laughs> That's me with every musical instrument. Patty? <laughs> <laughs> Especially yes, man, like, if you would be so kind, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for your great love and your mercy to each and every one of us. And we just thank you that when we, when we have petitions and we bring them to, to you, we just praise you because you answer them and you, you are so awesome to us. We thank you for all you do for each and every one of us. And we praise you and we worship you and we're here to do just that. And we, we put our, our lives in your hands and we thank you for all you do for us. And we look forward to the time when the trumpet will blow and you'll pick us yes. all up. In Christ's amen. name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Woo! Speaking of which. Okay, the title of this sharing is Running the Race. So, to do the title justice, I'm going to talk real fast. We're done with this really quick. It'll be like 15 minutes, okay? Okay. <laughs> We're going to listen real fast. Really fast. <laughs> Subject may be rope. Oh, never mind. Anyhow, <laughs> I always think of those those uh, medication commercials. Oh, yeah. Do you have problems with? <laughs> and, then they, and then they end with that low soda voice. May cause internal bleeding. <laughs> People who have fungal problems develop cancer with this drug. You may die suddenly. That's right. And, then, and the picture of someone living a really great life. Oh, well. Thank God. That's not the God we serve. Running the race. Hebrews 12, verse 1. My clicker worked before, and now they wanted to take a break. There's the fine print. There you go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Woo, there's a lot in here. So yes. I'm only going to give you some of it. How does that sin, sin cling so closely? I mean, <laughs> How does it cling so closely? It's a great question. And it's one of the um, blessings for me of like redirecting my attention to different versions is that it, it, it kind of shakes me awake sometimes. So um, I was originally brought up with what I like to call the Spanish... King James. It's not the King James. It's not English. And, and you know, King James had nothing to do with it. But that version's called the Reina Valera. And so it is in classical Castilian. And um, 
But once I got out of that, since I was in the bosom of the Baptist church, it was the King James Version, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so King James was what I learned the Scripture through. It's how I um, grew in my Christianese. Uh, it is what I knew as a biblical language. But also, since I spent ten formidable years of life being indoctrinated um, through a particular text, as I began to walk out of some of that error, not King James error, but the indoctrination that I was under, um, I went into the NIV. And, and so I had this reaction that as I read verses in the NIV, I thought, I've never seen that verse that way. Now, as I walked with the NIV for a while and learned more about the manuscripts they based that modern version on, and Westcott and Hort, and, and some of the things that the translators did, in particular with the New Testament version of the NIV, I pretty much abandoned it, except for my NIV study Bible, which has great notes, but as a day-to-day -day devotional thing, I don't use it. I use the ESV, uh, it communicates well, and in talking to a demographic of, say, between 20 and 30, um, I heard something, like one person told me, you know, I start hearing King James, I can't understand the thing that someone is saying, and I thought, well, you know, I really want to communicate. I mean, I've devoted my life, believe it or not, I mean, this is a shock to you, um, but I have devoted my life to be a communicator, and I'm not. Um, but this is, all that to say that in this, clings so closely is, is a wording um, that speaks to us, I think, to our ears, uh, a lot better than which so doth easily beset us, I think is the King James, right? It's so easily besetting. Um, anyhow, but we're going to talk about that. We're in this race. So, let's talk about us being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, um, not to belabor points, but uh, in that ten-year period that I was uh, under the indoctrination of a cul-de-sac of Christianity, um, commonly called a cult, but uh, that one of the doctrines that I was indoctrinated in was a belief called soul sleep, that when you died, um, there was no consciousness, you know, you just, d death was really death, you just you were gone until Christ <laughs> got you back up, and, and um, I thought that was pe peculiar to us, a truth that only we know we knew that we had to like broadcast to the world to their hurt and ours as well. Um, and, and then, su surprising to me, as I came out of that, I found that there were others that were captured in this belief that the Bible so clearly gives contrary evidence to. This verse, as a matter of fact, is one of those contrarian witnesses. But I think that the church may have overreacted to a soul sleep doctrine by relying so heavily on this. So this verse for me has been a struggle in that in my early days of Christianity, um, this was a verse thrown at me to say, see, this proves they're alive. And I would read the context and refer to my indoctrination and say, proves no such. And lo and behold, we were both kind of right. So, first of all, let me explain this cloud thing, because clouds are very important in Scripture, but you need to understand this type of cloud. If you look at the sky, or if you study science, you understand there are all kinds of different types of clouds. 
Um, we have more names for clouds than there are in the Bible, but they all have reference to their shape and how they're built and, and what kind of temperature things happen to them. This cloud isn't like, you know, when you're driving down Hampton Road, you go over the high rise and it's a nice blue sky and way ahead of you, you see a, an anvil-headed thundercloud giving rise, a cumulolimbus, right? It's not that kind of a thing. It's not a puffy cloud. It's not a fog. It's like one of those days in, you're in the middle of a thunderstorm or a winter day, or but you look up and all you see is a mass of cloud. No distinct clouds, just a covered sky. That's that kind of cloud. That these witnesses are indistinguishable because their witness is the same. Okay? And it's all-encompassing. So it's, it's wherever, you, wherever you look, you look up, wherever you look, this witness is there. Now, to our Western, leisurely-loving, sun-worshipping culture, a cloudy sky is like a bad day. It's so rainy. I'm sleepy. I can't work. <laughs> so, if, I mean, if you read the scripture, though, about all heaven being as brass, that's the nice blue sky. <laughs> when you read about an open heaven, like what's the most monumental, biblical proportion open heaven that you know about? Okay, alright, get spiritual on it. I, okay, 20th Century Fox, uh, uh, you know, big production, big open heaven, and the windows of heaven were opened. Noah's flood, right? So that's what we're talking about. Is in open heaven, the blessings of God being poured out are often and repeatedly shown to us as rain. And God's favor is shown as a cloud cover. Okay? Alright? So we've got to do a cultural mind shift and, and, and how we view things. Because if you live from the fruit of the land, and every day is a nice sunny day, you get to go sunbathe, you've got a problem. <laughs> it's called starvation. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, if you have to survive on rainfall, which they had to do in, in Canaan, and this is part of, the, part of God's training program to the Hebrew children when he had Abraham go to Canaan and walk the breadth and length of the land, was that it wasn't a culture that, like Mesopotamia and like Egypt, was built around a river. See, Egypt can rely upon a river, and Babylon could rely upon a river. Canaan has to rely upon the rain, and only God controls that. Okay? So this great cloud of witnesses resonates with the covering and blessing of God. Okay? What else does it tell us? Well, witness is mentioned five times in Hebrews 11, which is what we just walked through, right? Not in a race type way, but in like week after week after week. Is he ever going to get done? Um, so, listen, <laughs> in the way back machine, we learn in verse 2 that by faith the elders obtained a good report. Well, who is the reporter? God's the reporter. I mean, if there's a journalist you want to impress, that's the only one that matters, right? Amen. What God has as scribe angels record about your life is what matters, right? Yep. We're so... Yes, amen, yep. right? Yep, yep, yep. 
We're told that in verse 4 that Abel obtained witness that he was righteous and testified, God testified of his gifts. God testified of Abel's sacrifice, right? What he offered at the altar, and God um, witnessed that he was righteous, right? Because of his faith. Verse 5 tells us that Enoch had the testimony that his faith pleased God. Okay? And then we're told, I didn't, I didn't put the verse down, but it's verse 39. We're told the martyrs obtained a good report through faith even though they didn't receive the promises. So even though they didn't receive the promise, they had a good report from God because of their faith. Amen? Amen. So, the witnesses testify of God that faith pleases Him and that through it He grants us righteousness and receives our sacrifices. So, the temptation in the race is, why? Anytime I've ever ran, I've stopped running when the discomfort of my body overcomes the willingness of my mind. Mm -hmm. And that could be... The end of the driveway. It could, yeah. It can. It could be the driveway. At my age, it comes sooner than it used to. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, my, my, uh, most of my adult life and with regard to running has been in a lesson of humility. So I've never been a sprinter, and I was never really even a good long-distance runner. But if it came to running, it was long-distance. So as a kid... Um, that was my main means of transportation. For instance, um, I would get dressed in my dad's work boots. My dad's work boots, because, well, anyhow, that was my inheritance. So a pair of Wolverines. Mm -hmm. I put on a pair of ankle-high Wolverines. Uh, after my clothes, right? It wasn't just Wolverines. And then I would run, um, I'd get up, I don't know, somewhere between 4.30, 5 o'clock. I would run the mile and a half to the restaurant. I would open up the restaurant, do all the prep cooking. And then uh, somewhere around 7.30, I would run the mile, mile and a half to my high school. And then when I got done with high school, I would run the mile or so to my next destination. That was at least five days a week, if not more. Somebody joined something. Um, why is that even sounding off? Anyhow, so I could run long. One day I got bored. My friend lived uh, south of town on a farm, so I just went for a run. Uh, seven miles later, I met him in his field. We had a nice chat. I got home, and then because it was it was what I like to call 90-90 weather, <laughs> my mom, the nurse, uh, gave me a, a real dressing down for showing up in her office running on a day like that where I could have killed myself. So, um, not a laughing matter, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, anyhow, as I got older and I tried to run, um, if I made a mile, it was good. I mean, all kinds of things happened in my body, and I would get to this place where... The discomfort of my body overcame the willingness of my mind, and I just pop. I just go walking, right? And then I won't even bore you with the injuries of trying to do that. You can't just throw your shoes on and go running, right? You can't spend 20 years not running and then decide, well, I'm just going to go running. And everything turned out okay, right? It requires some discipline of mind, some preparation, and, and some goal. Well, why was I running? Why do we run? And understanding that this life of faith is a race, and understanding that in it, 
God says good job, that God says you're righteous, that God says that your effort is accepted, is the motivation. Amen? It keeps you going when you think, why? I mean, why am I spending my life, you know, why do I read the Bible every morning? Why do I, um, I you know, why don't I find other things on the weekend? Other people have a weekend. <laughs> right? <laughs> why, don't I, why don't I organize my life that way, you know? I work till Friday and then I get to have all kinds of fun Friday till Monday morning. Why can't I do that? Well, there's a reason why. And, and so in the times and in seasons where it's like, I don't want to get up, I don't want to do that, I just as soon do something else, <laughs> that the reason for the race comes to the fore and keeps you going, okay? This cloud, the cloud are much more, much more about what they are witnesses of. The cloud of witnesses has a lot more to do of what they are testifying about than what they are witnessing, that being our struggle of faith. The cloud is more about what they are witnesses of, their experience in faith, than to our struggles in faith. But because of the language used, of a race being run and a cloud of witnesses, it resonates with the ancient writers and with the culture, a Hellenistic culture of stadium games. Now, we say stadium, because we get that from the Latin, and I think the Greek is stadia, but it's the arena where runners would run. And if you want to talk about unencumbered running, if you weren't talking about a relay race or an armored race, these men ran in a gymnasium, right? And so gymnasium is, well, it's our term that derives from a Greek term that means, well, it's just your skin on, okay? That's how you competed. Your body, nothing else. Okay? So, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, so when you're in the stadium, if you've ever been in a stadium, or if you've ever been in any kind of uh, presentation where there's an audience, the audience becomes, it's difficult to distinguish an individual person in that audience, right? If you're in the arena or in the stage, you're aware of the presence of the crowd. And the presence of the crowd makes a difference with the performance on the field. You know, if you've run by yourself versus running when someone's going, yeah, you can do it, go for it, right? It's different. And so this is why I was saying earlier that both of these are correct. It, the language about the cloud of witnesses is the fact that they are testifying. They're not witnesses as in they're looking on now. But they are looking on now. So it's a both-hand situation, right? Once again, Hebraic thought expressed in Greek language. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. So, let's talk about resistance training. Okay? So, alright. These people competed in the buff. But, you know, if you've ever exercised, you want to get stronger, maybe you add some weight, right, to what you're doing. It's just a hand weight. I can't remember what this weight is. It feels like a two-pounder. may only be, what, one-pounder? I'm not sure. But if, if you're practicing boxing, you know, this, this helps you throw your arm a little harder, right? That's why you can't weight your glove if you're a boxer. But if you're running, all this kind of extra weight means that when the weight's not there, you can run better. Right? But sometimes, you know, maybe... 
Maybe the one pound is not enough. Maybe, you know, maybe you get a 10-pound kettle and you start doing work with a 10-pound kettle. And, and so maybe if you want to go running, you don't want to run with a 10-pound kettle, right? No. So when I read this verse, I thought about this kind of weight, you know, or the kind of weight that if you're like this, you know, and so easily besets us, and the next thing you know is, oh, wait a minute, that didn't work. Maybe we need to go up, up a class, right? So you really don't want to run with a 30-pound weight, right? So 30-pound weight, no good. And I always thought of this verse of, you know, the sin that so easily besets us is if you're walking along and, whoa, ooh, oh, help me, ah, oh, you know, you all right? Anyhow, <laughs> right. so, anyhow, so we talked about this, right, in, in one sharing where and you try to walk around and, well, i got to wait. But we're not talking really about resistance training of that type. We're not talking about challenges. You know, maybe, maybe you're used to doing your devotions two minutes in the morning and you do a verse. And so you want to do some strength training in the Word of God. And you say, well, okay, let's up that by 100%. Let's do two verses. Or let's give God ten minutes of my time. Versus five. But we're not we're not talking about that kind of a thing, right? What are we talking about? It's this sin which clings so closely. Now, if you're talking about athletes who don't even have uniforms on, what's clinging to them? Sweat. Huh? Sweat? Sweat. <laughs> a few bugs. Heart. The Greek used only here in this verse is the word onkos, which means a bulk or a mass. Um, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary compares it with the Hebrew kabed, which is weighty. But then they go on to develop this term for you so you understand how this term is used, right? Since it's only used once in Scripture, they kind of expand the view as to what this word have reference to. Corporeal unwieldiness was, through disciplinary diet, laid aside by candidates for the prize. Did you catch that? We're talking about fat, so aren't we? See, we're talking about superfluous weight. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> we're talking about weight that clings so closely that we have to lay aside. See, we're not talking about putting on weight belts and going running for strength training. We're talking about not trying to run when you're overweight. That's the analogy, okay? So, uh, you know, I'm not, if you're struggling with any kind of weight issues, I'm not, I'm not hammering on you. I'm just telling you, get the right mental picture. We're not talking about something outside of myself that's causing a problem, okay? Any extra weight you're carrying, you put on. That's a simple fact. And so, and it's there for various reasons. That's also a fact. And it would interfere with any kind of physicality you'd like to get involved in. That's also a fact. Now, I haven't tried to run at 160 pounds lately. Um, but I'm telling you, running at 175 was no good for these knees. Okay? Ephesians 4.22 To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This stuff that clings so close is the stuff that we've learned in our sinful life to embrace and appreciate, which slows us down the race with Jesus, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. 
I've shared this often before, our sin problem is an identity crisis. Our sin problem is, is behaving as if we are somebody we are not. It is to act like a dead man. It is to act like the before Christ person, not like the Christ person God made you inside. Okay? So when I, you know, when I lie, when I, you know, when I'm um, greedy, when I'm proudful, when I'm angry, uh, when I'm these kinds of things, I'm, I'm behaving like the corpse of Nicholas Larum. Um, like simply the product born of man and man's will, not the new creature in Christ created by the will of God. Understand? It's an identity problem. At its root, I've lost faith in who God made me through His Son. Amen? Amen. Colossians 3, verse 8. But now, you must put them all away. Put it away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Alcohol is easy for me to talk about. <laughs> I can talk about tobacco, too. Let's talk about tobacco. Not, not to, you know, I mean, not to, not to elevate sin, but, you know, I... I quit smoking for a good period of time, seven years, seven years and change. After Elizabeth was born, kicked the habit, didn't smoke. I kept my pipe, though. I kept my pipe. So when I started smoking, I started smoking a pipe. I was way too young. I don't consider what I started smoking when I was seven applicable. But when I was 14, I started smoking a pipe, seriously. Okay? Tobacco. You know, I had this pipe in my closet. And so then I got a job to go out of town. I was going to be out of town for a week, two weeks. I didn't know. I thought, well, I had a bowl of tobacco in a long time. What could it hurt? So I took my pipe with me. Well, duh, I was a nicotine addict. It didn't matter if I was seven years gone. You know, one bowl of tobacco, next thing you know, I'm smoking again. Now, is that not the most idiotic thing you've ever heard? Not the most idiotic thing I've ever done, but... It, you know, simple enough, right? I didn't put it away. I didn't get rid of it. Right? And so our habits, our old man habits of hating our enemy, of favoring our close ones, of not telling the truth, of self-preservation, all these old man habits, they just got to be got rid of. Or they make you like an obese runner. <clears throat> Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Now let's just talk about obscene talk from your mouth. Okay, so there is, there is clearly um, what we might call religious language. <laughs> or even clinical language. Right, where we avoid, uh, we avoid terms that even God uses, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't want to startle anybody. But, you know, in Scripture you find words like dung. It's the common word for dung, right? You know? But it's not the obscene word for dung. You get it? Mm -hmm. and, and so, in, in our effort to be holy, um, we won't say dung, we'll say excrement or scat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind saying it. I know. <laughs> All right. So, 
Now, I center on that one because it's just a regular bodily process everybody does, okay? But obscenity involves the um, abuse or degradation of bodily functions. In other words, it, it degrades the human process that God created or the sacrilegious use of God's character. So then it misappropriates the name of God and what God does. So if I say something like, Holy, I have been obscene, <laughs> because there's nothing holy about excrement, right? Right. Are you following me? Yes. You see, now, I could be a sober, loving Christian man, and yet if I give my tongue to obscene talk, I'm going to start putting on weight in my run. You understand? It's as simple as that. Hey, I don't know how much practical you can get than that. I mean, if you if you manage the tongue, you got the whole man, right? I, <clears throat> yesterday I was caught in that because we were driving it down the interstate and someone behind me shot around me, barely clearing my front grill mm -hmm. to come over into the next lane yep. and the same thing, he did the same thing to two other people to get to the exit lane. Yep. Uh, and I was, I was like, that was stupid. Or I said, you stupid man. And the boys were in the back seat. Who is stupid? And then I had to really back up. Like, oh no, back dangerous, up. dangerous, dangerous man, dangerous man. That was very, very mm -hmm. dangerous what he did. And I, oh, I felt so bad. It was like, I'll oh, agree with gosh. you on both counts. He was stupid. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I had. I, as a young man, I operated with complete license with my mouth. There's the, probably, you know, no, 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 uh, no word I hadn't used. Okay, wow, great witness, right? And and then um, I was challenged on this and began to put off this kind of a talk. And I feel like I've gotten some measure, uh, a good measure, I, I, I would say, of victory in this. Uh, so my, my my greatest testimony on this is like years gone by. But I was doing some service work at the Coast Guard in, in, in uh, downtown Norfolk, and I was I was in a rush, uh, first thing, and and I was changing out a keyboard tray, and and this particular style of keyboard tray made in Canada, which is not a dig, it just was, and and it had this over-engineered spring, like for this for this like two-pound keyboard tray, I could have done a, a you know a 14-meter dive off of it, right, <laughs> and and so I, I'm having to take this off, and and I. I had removed the front stop screw, so I'm underneath the surface like this, I removed the front top screw, and I was removing the screws to get it off, and I had to get to the back, so I had to slide this thing forward, forgetting I'd made the mistake of removing the front stop screw first, and so laying down, looking up, and I, and I slid this thing forward, and this over-engineered, uh, very high-grade Canadian steel just went right on my face. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And, oh. and I was like, so I, you know, so I go in the restroom, my face is bleeding, I'm cut right above the bridge of my nose, my glasses are all like this, you know, and I patch myself up, and I come back out, and I'm like, there, and, you know, and the Coasties are like, you okay? You ever been around the military? Okay. Anyhow, and are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I said, I hope I didn't disturb anybody. He goes, no, we were all amazed you didn't cuss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Woo! It got 
guy. All right, flash forward decades, right? And I'm back in my former trade. Former trade. And you know, there were just all kinds of bad things I used to do in my former trade. Attitudes I had and, and things. And I found, and I'm finding, that now that I'm back into a familiar work environment, I discover the corpse of Nicholas Larum lying around. <laughs> you know? And then I'll, I'll run into a customer or something, and all of a sudden I start reacting like a, an obese 25-year-old. Not that I was ever obese 25 year, at 25 years old, but, you know, obese in the flesh, you know, in, in my arrogance and in my language and in my attitude and in my anger. And, and I'm like, where's that coming from? Oh, I'm in a familiar place. But I'm not that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah. You understand? Yes. See, what you're putting off is the old man. What you're putting off are these soul things that you may have learned. Like like how you learned to... you ever argue with Wesley, Emma? Not really. Not really? Never? No. Well, whenever you do, the habits you both learned in that action, that you know, any habit that you learned that wasn't conflict resolution, you get to revisit. Isn't that great? Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a, you know, that's a, that's a neat thing, right? So, I mean, I find that, like my, my brother Timothy and I, you know, we, we had this relationship. I mean, we're closest in age and had this relationship. And then I found, lo and behold, you know, these ways that we acted toward each other when we were like under 10, when, when we were in our 40s, late 30s, he would say something, I would say something, and we're like two, you know, like a, like a seven and nine year old going at it. And I'm thinking, what? What? Put off the old man. Right? Whenever you're clear. I'm clear. Go. I have two things to say. <laughs> One, I want to thank Nick for preaching this message in response to a conversation that I had with him a few weeks ago. Not. Think about that. <laughs> and uh, secondly, you know the word profane. I, I have to look for a big reason to make me change on things. And the word profane, actually, uh, you probably know, mean also can mean common. So use profane speech just means common speech. And the thing about the people of God is we're not supposed to be common. We're supposed to be an uncommon people, right? Amen. And we're supposed to be sort of elevated above the common. But when we're profane, then we're being common. And, and what really impacted me was, um, I, you know, I was, you know how I used to talk about holiness a lot, and I still believe that. Well, I was working on a book about the holiness of God. And in that, I was doing my Old Testament study, and I was really looking at why did God send the people to Babylon? And if you understand, the main reason he sent them was because the, the, the Israelites had caused God to be profaned among the heathen. In other words, you're no, your God's no better than Molech. Your God's no yeah. better than yeah. Ishtar. Your God is nobody. He's common. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason totally gathered up in why he sent them to Israel and gave them 70 years of time out. And so, so it just made me think about the connecting that with profane and when I do that I'm being common and when I'm in the workplace or whatever and you know, if I've never been a preacher. If I die, the only the only credits that I'm gonna have with God are did you well how'd you do it at the office, Abel? Oh. Well, that's a know, big one. I mean, that's my ministry, and, Absolutely. and I just, I, you know, I've gotten mad at work, but and I've said things sometimes, and I've had to apologize, but I don't want to be that. I don't want. I don't want 
God, I get up there and say, you know, you caused me to be profaned among these people. I was nobody to them because of the way mm -hmm. that that you know that, that they when they saw you and they saw and they saw me. So anyway, um, that's what helped me have the big picture on Amen. that. I still mess up. I still say stuff, and, mm -hmm. and, and that's why it says put away anger because yeah. if you don't. Guess what's going to come yeah. next, yeah, right? One drives, that's, that's, one drives the other. Amen. I was repenting of that today. There you go. So I'm practicing scripture every day. Every day. Amen. <laughs> I, know, I know in our former conversation, too, there were times when uh, that I would use common speech because I wanted the people who I was talking to, I wanted to be able to be, you know, one of the guys. Right. One of Yeah. You know, just, Didn't you, want to put them off with our religiosity. Right. So we became common. As, yes. As, as Abel mentioned, so Very the, true. what I was thinking was, is you know, uh, Scripture didn't ask us to have salty language; it asked us to have our speech salted with grace. Yes, and that's what makes it distinctive. You know, if we just sound like everybody else, um, I have young people close to me <laughs> who um, who thought the life they were living was regular, and so then they became this different thing. You know. Um, because they wanted to be different. And in becoming the different thing, they embraced the world and became like everybody else. <laughs> they didn't know they were different, right? So we put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've been put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Boy, I... I, I, I <laughs> I want to go on a on a rail here, just even on the on on the physiology of this, okay? But let me just say that that synapses that that fire together wire together, and and the more you implant the knowledge of the Creator in your soul, in your mind, the more you think in the identity that He created you. That's the putting on of the new man. It is a discipline. It's not, it's not an axiomatic, you know. Children behave like their parents by, by lifelong exposure to their habits. There's a certain amount of physicality. There's, there's, you know, we find these things kind of, um, I don't know, awe-inspiring when people act like their parents. Um, and we find it surprising. But if they've been apart for a while, like if you have a, um, a child that, that just meets their biological parents and, and they have a, a similar habit, everyone's like, ooh, ah. And there is that there. But 99% of that is learned, right? Um, you know, for instance, none of you have ever met my biological father, but you've heard him laugh a lot. <laughs> okay? All right. Yeah. So you put all these, you put on the new self. I hope this is communicated. Running the race involves more than putting off obvious bad stuff. Alright, so we've talked about bad stuff. We've talked about um, these things that we need to put off. One of these days I'm going to carve this, uh, this quote out of Watchman Nee so I can get it right. But um, my paraphrase of the Watchman Nee quote from The Spiritual Man is, the problem with the Christian is not taking his sin to the cross. We're, most of us are aware of our sins. Most of us are aware of the lust we carry. Most of us are aware of the anger we carry or, or, or you know, the lies we've told, things of this nature. We don't really struggle with that. When we sin, you know, taking that to the cross is not the problem. Watchman E says our problem is taking to the cross the things we think are good. Because there's, there's no, the things we think are good because we don't have any. 
We don't, we don't take our good to the cross to let it die and let God resurrect it. That's our problem. That's my paraphrase of Watchman Dean. Philippians chapter 3. It's a pretty good paraphrase. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Philippians chapter 3. It's, um, that's where Phariseeism comes from, is thinking that we have to... Thinking that we've got something to give, right? Philippians 3, verse 4. Speaking of Phariseeism... Um, Paul the Apostle was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Okay? Yeah. And and trust me, if if I say trust me, if I had been alive um, in the time of Christ and had a choice of my Jewish leanings at the time, Pharisee all the way, man. These guys, hey, believed in the resurrection, angels, miracles. Uh, yeah, I mean, Solid I'm, I'm right there, man. Oh, yeah. I'd be playing the tambourine in their meeting. Okay. Jesus yeah. was a good Pharisee. Yes, I believe he was. Yeah. <laughs> um, Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone, uh, let, me, let me back up. Verse, two, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. We don't put any confidence in the flesh. And then Paul, using no false modesty whatsoever, says, Hey, I've got reason to be confident in my flesh. If you don't think Paul was an accomplished man, Saul of Tarsus was an accomplished man in his day, before he met Christ. So, in the estimation of his peers, he was someone to aspire to. In, in, in the law of their order, he was, by his own testimony, blameless. Okay? Verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day. The, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blame. Just get your head around that for a second. The blameless man who held the coats of the ones killing Stephen. He was what his peers would call a good man. He's of the right stock, honey. You should look at him. He comes from a good family. Okay? But, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I think King James on that is quite dumb, but I don't know. I have checked me on that. Everything. He counts as for the trash heap compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Not only the estimation of his previous peers, but if you've read the New Testament, you know that his, his estimation with his current peers wasn't so hot either. You know, when, when the Gentiles came to Christ, those who stayed in Jerusalem and were, and were zealous for the law but believed in Jesus had a real issue with Paul. If you think this legalism versus grace thing is a new controversy in the church, read Acts 15. 
You know, if you think dietary laws are something that we just now start having a problem with because of Messianic Christians, read, read Acts 15. Read the New Testament. I digress. I almost started preaching there. Okay. Then I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. I am 56 years old. I have been preaching the gospel for 42 years. 42 years. And I have in my flesh been righteous enough to do that not a single solitary time. Never in my life have I been righteous enough to preach the gospel. But I am not, I have not preached the gospel for 42 years because of what I have done, but because of what He has done. Amen. Because I refuse to frustrate the grace that Jesus poured out to me through His blood on the cross Amen. because of my own stupid sin. You understand how many times we hold ourselves back because, oh, hey, God's up there going, I made it all possible for you. It's not your effort. It's my mercy. Amen. 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 It's all. It's all. Every book I've written, everything I've done. I thought, I thought I'd done something in life. And then I went through cancer. And when I got to the place where I could thank Jesus for not throwing up in the morning, and then I could thank Jesus for throwing up in the morning, <laughs> everything else I've done before that was worthless. Do you understand? Worthless. Compared to the knowledge and the relationship with Jesus Christ. No one loves me more. No one knows me more. No one cares more. No one will hold me longer than Him. Nothing really else matters as much. And I love a whole lot. But the gap between my love for Christ and everything else is pretty huge. Yep. Understand? Matter of fact, if you lay them side by side, how I love other things and, and how Jesus loves me, everything I love is considered hatred. Okay? So... I get a little overwhelmed, but I hope you understand. It's nothing compared to the knowledge of Christ. The righteousness that, that comes from God, that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. And the problem with the church and the problem with religion is we want to do that backwards. We think we have to go through the sufferings to get the power of the resurrection. God doesn't invite us that way. If He wanted you crucified without Christ, He could have done that easy. He wants you to join the suffering in the power of the resurrection. Understand? Oh, my goodness, Lord God. <clears throat> that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and, sh and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's a whole other message in itself. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me His own. That's what keeps you running. He bought me. He paid for me. He's there saying, come on, come on, come on, come home. 
Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, it's not... It's not wrong to feel the touchstones of your faith in your life, to remember the faithfulness of God, but you can't live on those. You can't live on those, because life goes forward. God made it that way. And He calls us to an ever-progressive stretch, to keep running. Amen? Amen. Putting on requires a proper diet. So putting off isn't just the old man bad habits, it's the old man good habits done for selfish reasons, right? <laughs> it's putting all that off. It's not being so enamored with your accomplishments that you stop and, and rest on your laurels, right? But this putting on requires a proper diet. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, I know we need meat. And we talked about that when we went through that portion of Hebrews. But we need a steady diet of good God milk. Amen? And it's that ingestion of the Word of God that we suck greedily as newborn babies that help us put on this new creation. It's our only window to it, really. It's a matter of discipline. Doing this is a matter of discipline. It doesn't just happen. You know, um, I... I uh, now I won't talk about that. Anyhow, it's just a matter of discipline. You know, you don't get born again and then just live your life like you used to. You're not born again in, in, a, in a disciplined saint and just decide to stop. You don't stop reading your Bible. You don't stop praying. You don't stop seeking God. You don't stop praying in the Spirit. You don't stop giving. You don't stop loving. You don't stop. Right? You keep going. You keep going. It's discipline. First Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now he's not talking about only one of you, you know, we're not talking about the 144,000 and the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you know, fallacy here. We're not talking about, well, <laughs> you know, only one of you gets through. He's talking about the attitude. The attitude. When a runner is running the race, what's the runner looking? How is he looking? Ahead forward, right? You don't run a race like this to see who's going to get you because you don't, you just don't want anyone to catch you. You're facing forward, right? That's how you run. Don't run not to win. There is a prize, and I'm not talking about prizes tonight, but there's a prize of this. Paul was talking about the out-resurrection from among the dead, you know, of winning that place at the wedding feast of the Lamb, of being an administrator in the millennial kingdom. That's a prize, Right? He's saying, I don't even know if I'm in. I don't know if I get the bridle and the uh, you know, wine cup, but I want to make the wedding, right? So just run that way. Because the race isn't over. 
right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So, th th there's that self-discipline involved. Now, when I got... When I did a transition from a physical job to a desk job and then didn't change my eating habits, didn't change some other habits, then my physical fitness suffered. And then what I found was that, you know, if, if I ministered, I would, I would teach. And when I get done teaching, I would have a splitting headache. I mean, it would, to be able to teach like this would put me out of commission for like two, three hours. Oh. And I thought, that's, no, that's why I started running is because I needed the physical strength to do the spiritual work. Right? That was the that's the motivation. So so there's so that self-discipline came in because there's a goal there at the end, right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So if if we are about the business of putting on the new man, Right? And we're living in community. What we're doing is we're transmitting Christ-likeness. We're transmitting Christ-likeness to our spouses. We're transmitting Christ-likeness to our children. We're transmitting Christ-likeness to our community of faith. We are, we are giving testimony of Christ-likeness to our co-workers, to our community, you see? So, so then there's, there's a means of discipline. What, what are you going to, you know, how are you going to fill your brain and with what focus? How do you testify? How do you see? What kind of conversations do you have? Do you see the Creator's redemption in everything? And can you bring every conversation to a testimony of His redemption and His goodness? That's a discipline, right? So I do not run aimlessly. I don't read just to read. I keep saying I, but again, this is my only life, so I'm sharing it, right? But I don't... I don't exercise just to exercise. Now, I didn't used to exercise when I did furniture because furniture was the exercise. And then I found out, now that I'm in my 50s, I have to exercise so I can do furniture. <laughs> and, and since I don't want to be a cripple again, and I want to be able to do this kind of a thing, I try to keep some sort of equilibrium in physical fitness, right? So there's things that I don't eat anymore. There are things I don't do anymore. There are things I probably am doing now. No, they're not probably. There are things I'm doing now I need to change, right? So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. You know, I don't sit here and pray, I take authority over all the principalities over Hampton Road, you know? I'll get you, God. Right? I mean, if you're going to practice boxing, get a bag, will you? Hit something. Right? Okay? Hey, you want to practice, you know, shadow boxing and get a little fast, that's fine. Hit something! Right? Direct it. Don't run aimless. Don't box this beat in the air. Ask for revelation as to what it is you're supposed to be fighting against. I'll bet you the first thing he shows you the things in here. Not out there. <laughs> yeah. Like, how about we deal with this right now? <laughs> what about what about that principality? I got him. Don't worry about him. What about you? Right? Don't run aimlessly, you know? Oh, there's a conference here, there's a conference there, there's a conference there. Oh, oh I hear God splitting pulpits over there. We gotta go see that. I'm a God chaser, right? Um, that was a phase for a while. Mm. Right? Don't run aimless. It's a purpose to your discipline. God's got a program for you. Find out what it is. Follow it. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, 
after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This race has rules. You don't get to the finish line breaking the rules and not get a reprimand. We all want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen? See, once that's all said, it's a matter of mercy. Talked about self-discipline, talked about self-control, we've talked about putting off and putting on. But God has a final word for us on this, okay? Romans 9, verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So, then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Is that not a good word? See, he is able to complete the good work he has begun in you. He is able and he will do it. God has decided to show you mercy. God has decided to show us compassion. Amen. Amen? Amen. So he gives us grace for the race. My favorite race in the New Testament. John chapter 20. And verse 2. Yeah, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Other places in the gospel says that it seemed to them as idle tales. When the women came, it seemed to them as idle tales. And here Peter and John ran to the empty tomb. These things I do, forgetting those things which are past, and pressing toward the mark. I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That tells us it's an endurance race, right? It's not a sprint. It's an endurance race. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.